The reading's about an acknowledgement of the Philippians' gift. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have respived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed, and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Well, it's nice to be back here again with you. Not long now before your new pastor comes, you'll be, uh, I guess, glad to to have your new pastor in place after all these months. It's been uh, quite a time since uh, Robert left, and uh, and so it's good to know that this time is coming to an end. Am I? I'm not on. It's showing green, is that right? This is better, is it? Am I locked behind the desk? Or is this working? Right, okay. Let's forget this then. Yes, it's it's good, isn't it, to have the opportunity to... uh, to have these different experiences of life and you've had one of waiting and of, of, of just being a community together and you will have discovered all sorts of, of new things during this time. But now's the time to look forward, isn't it? To, to look ahead. And in our own lives there are similar variety of experiences that come our way. Just, um, two weeks ago we were about, no, three weeks ago we were about to go on holiday. Uh, I, I was about the Lord's work. Uh, I would want you to know that. Uh, I, I was going down to a meeting in, in Birmingham, and uh, as I was driving down, uh, life was feeling good because uh, the next day I was going on holiday on the Friday. This was a Thursday, and as I pulled off the motorway off the um, the M6. 
and, uh, and, and went on because uh, I was going slightly the other side of it. I, I came off on the A5 because I can't stand this flipping toll road. It keeps going up in price, doesn't it? Uh, so I, I was going on the A5 and, uh, and then I thought my, my car isn't quite functioning as it should do. It, it, it was sort of clearly something was, was missing a beat, you know, a bit like having a heart defect or something. It wasn't quite right. In other words, you can see I'm very technical. Um, you can see I know everything about cars, but I knew that something wasn't right. And so uh, I went to my meeting and then thought, I just cannot rest. I cannot rest. So I phoned up uh, our engineer and he said, uh, get it back to me as soon as possible and I'll look at it so that uh, we can get it ready for holiday tomorrow. So I drove straight back and it was looked at and uh, he couldn't find any fault with it but he said something dire is wrong with it. We're going to Cornwall tomorrow in it. Don't, he said. And, uh, and so at that point, life from being very good became very bad. Uh, I began to panic. I began to think, what are we going to do? And so nothing else was left to do but to, uh, to have a higher car. And for the next uh, two weeks, I tried to push it back from my mind as much as I could. But I knew that when I came back, I would have to attend to finding a new car. Now, I don't know how you approach that. Some of you will approach that with great joy and uh, great pleasure uh, because it means that you can look at the what car magazine or, or look on the websites but for me it's one of those things that again I feel totally inadequate about because if I walk across the car for, uh, the, a car forecourt it's as though there is a neon sign that is above my head that flashes on as soon as I step onto that forecourt that says, sucker, sucker. Uh, and so that the feeling is, is one of griping in the pit of my stomach as I think about the ordeal of going through buying a new car. And this week, I have spent hours looking for a new car, thinking, what is best here? Is it best to do this or to do that? To buy new? No, I can't afford that to lease or, or to have a used car, etc, etc. Do you know the story? Life is like a box of chocolates and some of the chocolates you don't like. Forrest Gump's great phrase. Well, he doesn't go on to say the second bit. Life is like a box of chocolates and I can't stand the orange creams. Can you? Ugh, horrible things. Um, and so that's... That's what was dealt with me and what has preoccupied me. And, and during that time I've been trying to actually look at my own spirit. You can translate into your own life similar circumstances that may be pressing in on you, may be worrying you. This is a relatively insignificant thing. More significant may be this. Another thing that's pressing in on us as a couple at this moment. I, I don't know whether I told you, but my daughter was ill a couple of times uh, last year. I think I might have shared at some time when I, I came along, and she had two spells in hospital. Very, quite poorly. She had uh, a sort of plural pleuratic pneumonia or something like that, uh, pleurisy and pneumonia, very, very poorly and was uh, hospitalised by it and um, also other difficulties, cellulitis and uh, things. 
But uh, because of this, uh, uh, the degree of severity and that she seemed to be unresponsive to antibiotics, she was sent to the immunologist. And so uh, eventually, after a mix-up uh, in the whole system of the NHS, she got to see the uh, immunologist about six months after she had, had been in hospital for the second time. And uh, he, he looked at a very thorough examination. Uh, you know, it took all afternoon, uh, the various tests and uh, history that he took down. And then he said, come back and see me in six months' time. We'll, we'll keep an eye on this and uh, see how it's going. But he called her back in just uh, a couple of months, and she went to see him uh, just, uh, just before we, we went on holiday again. And uh, he said, you, you have got uh, an inadequacy in your immune system, which is quite, uh, you know, it's got to be dealt with. Uh, we've got to try to treat it, if at all possible, because you will be particularly vulnerable to, to infections, flu viruses and things like that, because you're defective in uh, this particular organism that can fight pneumonia. And, and so we're going to have to inject you. We're going to see if this works. You've got uh, the chest uh, of an older woman uh, rather than a younger woman. Uh, and, and, and so that plays on your mind. And when, you know, uh, the thought of uh, swine flu sweeping this country comes along, it puts it in a new light. These are the things that press in on us, aren't they? These are the things that, that all of us have to deal with in life that worry us, that constrain us, some more we can treat lightheartedly, others are potentially more serious and bring great anxiety or concern. What are the circumstances that you are going through? What are the translations that you can make, transpositions into your life that you can make at this moment? I have learned the secret of being content, Paul says. I've learned the secret of being content. How are we able to be content in our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ? In the ups and in the downs, I've learned the secret of being content. I know what it is, he says, to be in need or literally to be leveled, to be flattened. I'll come back to that in just a few moments as to what that that word means. I know what it is to have abundance, he says. I've been initiated into being with plenty or being in want. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about what we would call stoicism? You know, just grinning and bearing things and going through with them? Is that what he's talking about? Or is he talking about something that the spiritual masters in the Christian tradition, and in many other traditions as well, talk about in terms of not allowing our external circumstances to be the ultimate controlling factor on our spirits? You know how easy it is to fall into the kind of mindset that says, what have I done to deserve this? Where are you, God, in these circumstances? It's easy to believe and to fall into the temptation of believing that God is in the business 
of making our lives easier and more comfortable. And it would be lovely to have that kind of Father Christmas God. But if we have such a notion, life will actually search that out. And you'll either have to change that notion, but God is there in the business of just looking after your own comfort and trying to make it easier and more comfortable. Or you're going to have to give up your faith in God, which many people do who have that kind of brittle faith. And there are many people that give up on God when life turns hard and difficult. Because ultimately we know full well that what Paul is talking about here is something that is much richer and fuller and more meaningful than that sort of understanding of God. Here he is, of course, in prison. We don't know quite where. It was possible that he was in Rome or in one of his earlier imprisonments. He faces an uncertain future, even possible death. And certainly he must feel that that sense of uncertainty as to whether his plans for the future are ever going to see the light of day. And it's so easy in those circumstances where circumstances are turning against us, where things seem to be hard, where things seem to be not yielding as we hoped they would once do, as we experienced that they once did. It's sometimes very hard to hold on in those circumstances to the God who is with us. I want to use a word now which uh, I don't often use, but it's quite an important word, I think, for dealing in this sort of area and this sort of subject. And uh, it's a posh Latin word. But it's basically quite a simple idea. And it's the word liminal. It means, the Latin means, to be on the threshold, to be at the, right at the threshold, on the boundary. Liminal. And that Christians are called to live in that place that is liminal. Christians are called to live at the threshold. In other words, to be a Christian is not to try to seek in your mind to make life as comfortable and easy as possible. But to live with the fragility of life, with the uncertainty of life with even some of the pain and the suffering and the sense of certain uncertainty that there is in what it is to be a human being. And that's what I mean by the liminal experience. And Paul was in such a time. He was in such a process where he was on the boundary, on the threshold, uncertain as to what lay beyond that door threshold uncertain as to how the future was going to pan out. Now one of the things that we can do in that situation, as well as the temptation to believe in a wrong kind of God, in an idolatrous God that is just there to meet our comfort, we can also come into the temptation of judging ourselves too harshly. For instance, I found myself, as I said, becoming anxious and worrying about changing the car. And I I could have, at that point, 
try to put on the appearance of being smooth and okay and all together. But I want you to know that I've got my weak points like anyone else. And one of my weak points is where it comes to anything to do with money and material things. If you were looking for a treasurer in a church, I would be the last candidate to think about. I am not interested in money and all of those things. I don't pay enough attention to it. I am not disciplined enough. I am no good in that area. I am fragile as a human being. It does not interest me. Give me books, ideas. Give me exciting conversation and debate. I'm there. But money... Domestic arrangements like that and all to do with budget and everything, you don't see me for dust. And so when it comes to these practical areas, I can easily feel as though I am completely inadequate and I can fall prey to self-judgment and condemnation. So easily, when we're going through difficult circumstances that are searching out our vulnerability, we can fall into self-judgment and self-condemnation. But I don't think that that is what we're being called to here. And so I discipline myself on this holiday to think, no, I have got to actually walk through this in faith and in trust, and I'm not going to try to work this out before I can actually do something. And to a large extent, I was successful at that. But why? Because of a need to express what is really going on within us. And part of what it means to grow in the way that Paul is talking about here, of what it means to be content, of what is the secret of being content? What is the secret of being able to cope in all sorts of circumstances, in the ups and in the downs? And we've been reminded of these things already in what Ros had to say in the leading of our service. Well, those things are all to do with the need to develop a right spirit within ourselves. The spiritual masters talk about detachment. They talk about indifference. And to us, those words don't conjure up good things, do they? Indifference, detachment, by which they meant not aloofness to other people or to situations, but they were talking precisely about the kind of experiences that I have mentioned concerning my own life and our own existence as a family at this time. It's that we should go through these circumstances and ultimately not allow those things to set the agenda of our own inner spirit and inner life. And that is, I think, what Paul is talking about when it comes to contentment. It's not just a a brave stoicism. It's not just a denial of the weaknesses that we find within ourselves and our vulnerabilities that I've shared with you. Because Paul in other letters clearly shows his own weakness and he acknowledges his own weakness. You read the start of 2 Corinthians and he is struggling in his circumstances at that time. 
even though externally they may not have been as serious as the ones that were around him when he penned this letter to the Philippians, where it seems as though it bubbles over with joy. Now what Paul is talking about here is what the spiritual masters talk about, about the need to develop detachment, indifference. Not aloofness, but rather the ability to walk through circumstances and not to let those circumstances ultimately set the temper of your own spirit and of your own soul. And to do that requires great work. I wonder what powerful, life-shaping circumstances are operating in your life at the moment. It may be that for you, life is quite easy and comfortable at this particular time. Now that's great. God bless you in that. But it may be that for some of you here, you identify immediately with the sort of things that I opened up this teaching time with. Because you can translate that to the pressures and the anxieties and the vulnerabilities that you feel are pressing you in at this particular time. Circumstances that make you feel, ouch, ouch. What's the secret of going through those? It is, and I come back here to what Ros said, how did you... Look at my notes this morning. And come back to what Ros said, that in the end, it's to do with seeing God at work in all circumstances. Of being aware that God is as much with me in my vulnerability as a panicking individual who doesn't like to deal with car ownership. As he is... Wanting to be with me now, as I preach and teach the people of God. Do we really believe that? Or have we a kind of dualism in our mind, where we separate out, oh God is really here in these circumstances, but he's not here there, Because I'm feeling vulnerable as a human being here, but I'm feeling secure and okay here because this is what I do and I'm called to. Do we actually have that understanding in our own lives? And so we bring ourselves into condemnation here. We feel ourselves to, as it were, be under the microscope here. But here we feel, oh, this is what I'm about. This is where God's spirit is flowing. That's the great temptation. But Paul says, in all circumstances, whether my circumstances are abundant or whether they are lacking, I am aware that I can be content. I can be still and content in God. Why? Because of a certain purity of heart that he had cultivated. And Jesus said, didn't he, it is the pure in heart who will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, the question is then, how do we develop that purity of heart? Let's go back to what Paul says here. Because Paul talks about different circumstances. Let me go back to that word, to be lacking or to be in need. 
which is found in, in verse 12. I know what it is to be lacking, to be in need. Interesting word, because it's, it's not primarily to do with just being without things, which seems to be the context that he's talking about. It's not a comment upon material things primarily. It's rather a a word that is to do with status. It's to do with being brought and made low. It could be used about very physical things, about geographical areas, being brought into a level, low place, being made low. But it then is, is used in a pictorial way. And it talks about being brought into a humble condition, being reduced. Let me read from my lexicon at this point. To make low, to bring low, to level, to reduce to a plane, it says. And so it's derived meaning, it's picture meaning, as used here, to bring into a humble condition, to reduce to meaner circumstances, to assign Lower rank or place, to a base, to be ranked below others who are honoured or rewarded, to humble and abase myself by humble living, to lower, depress, of one's soul, bring down one's pride, to have a modest opinion of oneself, to behave in an unassuming manner, devoid of all haughtiness. A very different kind of flavour from what we normally think of in this text. Because Paul is here touching on one of the great differences of what it was to be a Christian. Because in that culture of Roman Hellenistic society, it was all about an honour-based society and about climbing into the place where you are honoured. The sort of patron-client system put people on the top of the heap, the 2% elite, and everyone else had a trickle-down effect and were desperately trying to scramble their way up. And it's in that context that this word was very often used. In other words, Paul seems to be saying is, I have been willing to become an outsider, to be one of the abused ones, to... To enter into a lower estate. To enter into circumstances that seem to be despised by the wider dominant culture of our our society around us. And Paul says, I've learned to be content without honour and even with dishonour within this society. Now our society works in a slightly different way from the way that it did in Roman times. But basically, there are similarities here. And what I want to suggest to you is that my feelings of vulnerability about money and dealing with it and cars and walking across that car lot that I'm going to have to do in just a few days' time. I've come in my old car, but it's mortally ill. And it shows itself as it comes up any hill, it's sort of losing power and everything like, like that. When I walk across that, that, that forecourt of a garage to look at various things, and the neon sight starts to flash in my mind. 
I'm working according to certain criteria. And my desire would be that everyone knows that Stephen Ibbotson, Ibbo, as I'm very affectionately known by in my own church, Ibbo is a very successful, collected, together human being. I want to project that, and I want you to believe that about Stephen Ibbotson. But Stephen Ibbotson is like any other human being, and I don't care how competent and together people seem, in the end, all of us carry something that Jung called the dark side. The Bible calls it just vulnerability, and sometimes it can go over into what it calls sin. But it's not necessarily to do with sin. It's to do with human weakness and vulnerability. And what Paul is saying is that I have learned to be content with my vulnerability. I've learned to accept that I have got a shadow side as well. I've learned to be in circumstances that aren't easy. I've, been, I've learned to be what it is in meaner, harder more lowly circumstances. That's what he's talking about here. In other words, he's been able to embrace his vulnerability and the shadow side of his temperament. And you've got one, and I've got one, we've all got one. And one of the great dangers of the Christian church, where we sing about faith in God, where we talk about persevering is that we want to give the appearance to one another that we're okay, you know, that we're doing it right, that we are men and women of faith. But friends, all of us wobble, all of us shake, all of us are vulnerable because we're human. And it's precisely in those situations where we're pushed out to the very boundaries, those liminal places. We talk about moving beyond our comfort zones these days. That's what I mean by the liminal place, liminality. That we are called as disciples of Jesus Christ to follow Christ into the vulnerable place because he went there. That's why we have, as a central ongoing memorial and act of sacrament within our church, bread and wine that remind ourselves that that is the place of power, that that's the place of victory, because Jesus went into the vulnerable place that seemed to be the lowest of places, the places that actually acquired the most shame and abuse, and being a cast out one, and he occupied that place without fear, and in that place he didn't see himself under God's judgment, but rather he saw this as part of God's will and God's way for him. In other words, God is as much with you in your places where you're taken to that liminal place, beyond your comfort zone where you feel fragile, where you feel exposed and vulnerable, and where at times you are most prone to sin. 
And God is there with you. And part of what it means to learn the secret of contentment in life is to develop that kind of spirit within ourselves. In other words, developing a purity of heart and of spirit that when we know that we're going through those circumstances, we say, yes, I do feel this God at the moment. I do feel tempted to judge myself and to to think badly of myself. But I'm going to trust you. You have promised to be with me. And you're with me now as I go to face these tests at hospital. And as I go to hear that I also, from the doctor, am mortal. You are with me and you will be with me. Because ultimately this is what it means to live the death and resurrection life. That we are so willing to let life go because we believe that ultimately the God who has made us is a creator God who can more than match the death that I will go through, the suffering that I will go through, the weakness and the sense of life being taken away that I will go through at some time and another and ultimately it will come at my end. God is more than able to match that. And I put my trust in that God who is the source of life and who will raise me up to new life, to walk in newness of life into eternity. So that even the ultimate loss of life I can face with contentment. That is what it is to actually learn the secret of contentment. To be willing to let go of your life your reputation, everything. Because you know that your life is in the hands of the God who loves you and whose grace is for you. That's why we share bread and wine. That's what we remember at this time. And we're going to do that now. Let's pray as the band comes back and takes their place. I'm just going to sing all I once held dear, build my life upon. And then 